Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Erie Niagara School Superintendents Association's podcast, Achieving Joy and Mastery in Public Schools. I am your host, Brian Graham, Superintendent of the Grand Island Central School District. We are really excited that you're listening today. This podcast is designed to celebrate all that is good in public education around Western New York. We will be featuring programs and innovative ideas that inspire and influence our students, faculty, staff, and community in new and exciting ways. So everybody, let's get started. Today on our podcast, we have Michael Cornell, the superintendent of the Hamburg Central School District. He is also the president of the Erie Niagara School Superintendents Association. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited for the maiden voyage of the ENSSA podcast. So uh, happy to be here. All right. It's really a pleasure. And uh, before we get to the heart of what we're going to talk about today, can you share with our listeners just how is the school year going so far? Today is September 14th. Uh, just share with us how things are going. Well, we're about a week in, and um, it's really nice to have everybody back, um, feeling like we're on the other side of what we've been through for the last two and a half years. Um, some of the edge is off of uh, our time at school. We're not uh, worried about COVID mitigating protocols and mandating masks and worrying about setting up classrooms for distance and waiting for the other shoe to drop for some type of school closure. So knowing that all that stuff is really off the table has been, um, I think, helpful for families and, and kids and teachers in terms of being in school and feeling comfortable. Um, and, you know, we're not just jumping into, oh, my God, we've got to make up for two and a half years of, of learning loss or whatever term people want to apply to it. Um, one of the things we're emphasizing is the fact that every year, every September, uh, we invite children in. Uh, we figure out where they are academically, socially, emotional, socially and emotionally, um, you know, mentally, and uh, we meet them where they are. And we find out exactly what they need from us, and we take them as far as we can take them. Uh, so rather than focus on learning loss or some other kind of deficit-based way of thinking about our kids, we're just focused on getting to know them, letting them get to know each other, and then figuring out what they need from us and making sure we can deliver it for them. You know, you and Hamburg have been a leader in um, looking at youth mental health prior to COVID. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the initiative of Youth Mental Health First Aid in Hamburg? Sure. We started to notice in 2016-17 um, that we had a lot of kids who were struggling in a lot of different ways. Um, and, and it wasn't just teen angst. It wasn't just, oh, Johnny's got a difficult uh, circumstance at home. Uh, or some of the things that we would, you know, Johnny's not motivated to do well in school and doesn't do his homework. Um, it was much more than that. It was uh, increased um, incidents in uh, self-harming behavior, more referrals to outside agencies, um, lots of undiagnosed and self-medicated mental illness. Um, so what we started to recognize uh, when we looked in the mirror 
um, and looked at what we could control as a school district, we started to realize that maybe there was something that we could do uh, to better identify students who were experiencing some type of mental or social, social emotional distress um, and then do something about it. Um, rather than just admire the problem, we decided we needed to do something about it. Um, so we started to hear a little bit about something called Youth Mental Health First Aid. So what Youth Mental Health First Aid is, is it trains, all, you, you can do it lots of different ways. What we chose to do, we felt like we did it the right way. We trained every single adult in Youth Mental Health First Aid. So all 650 of our employees and then 100 bus drivers who are not our employees, but we trained them anyway. Um, we got a $75,000 grant from the Peter Tower Foundation to help us with the cost. All in, it probably costs us $150,000 to do it because you're, it's a full-day training. You're pulling people out of their work for a day, and many of those people require substitutes. So you're paying sub-costs. Uh, we also paid some teachers to do it after school uh, on Saturdays, I should say, because it's an eight-hour training. Um, but what that does is it gives every one of your employees the ability to understand, um, recognize the signs and symptoms of mental or emotional distress among your kids. So instead of, well, Michael didn't do his homework three days in a row, Michael must not care about math anymore, it's you know, after class in a way that preserves the dignity of the child. You say, you know what, Let, can I talk to you for a minute after class? I'm interested to know, you know, what, you, you didn't do your homework for a couple of days. You, it's not like you, it's something going on. Instead of the, well, you know, he must have just been lazy for three days. Um, it, you know, just really pay attention to the way your students speak, act to you or with their, their classmates. And if you notice something's not quite right, um, engage that child in some type of a conversation about it, away from the other kids, not accusatory. There's a whole protocol they go through. Um, that's what the training is about. How do you engage the child when you think something might be up? Um, and then what do you do if some part of that conversation is concerning to you? So we talk about the warm handoff that you would do to for a counselor, a social worker, a psychologist, or a, an administrator. Um, I talked to Michael after class today. Something didn't seem quite right. I'm still not comfortable with the way that conversation went. Maybe you should talk to him before he leaves school today. And then that starts the cycle of care that we provide in school because, let's face it, we all know that schools are the most accessible uh, form of mental and emotional support for kids. We know that when a kid is actually diagnosed with a mental you know, illness, they won't even get in to see a licensed therapist for four to six months. Yeah, that's right. So, so we're it. We're, we're the people who have to deal with that. But we have to know what we're dealing with. And without youth mental health first aid, you don't know what you're dealing with. It literally increases your capacity to help kids one person at a time. Right. So you started this, I think, what, 2018? Yeah, 2017-18 was the first year that we began training people. Um, so it took us really a year to get everybody trained. Right. And then we retrained everybody in 2000. 21 22 okay so that that was going to be my question you know the logistics and the mechanics of the training you know where uh you know where did you begin did you start with nurses did you start with counselors social workers did you get people in your organization to be uh trainers themselves in the in the future we did so here's the first thing we did was we we put our kind of our youth our, our school-based mental health team in the district in the room and gave them the training. So 
social workers, psychologists, some administrators, um, and said, what do you think? And they thought it was great. So then the next step was to train a group of trainers. So we have 10, we train 10 people. That's a lot of the cost because somebody's got to come and you've got to go through a training to be a certified trainer. I believe we have the largest group of certified youth mental health first aid trainers in the state, certainly in upstate. Uh, We have nine now. Um, So that's a real important resource for us. Uh, as a school district, to have nine trainers that we can deploy uh, when we have to do recertification training, but also gives us some incredibly sophisticated folks doing that type of work with kids and supporting adults when they're working with kids. Um, So we took that first year to kind of build build enthusiasm and support, Um, and then we just started training 30 people at a time. In 2018-19. So that was how it started, and then it took us the whole year to get everybody trained, 30 people at a time. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. So now that you, when you bring in new people, whether they're bus drivers, custodians, or teachers, is this somehow built into the induction or onboarding process? Yep. It's part of the onboarding. Everybody gets it. It's uh, non-negotiable. Yeah. I love it. So... It's very impressive, Mike. Honestly, it's probably something that hasn't occurred a lot in local districts. I'm sure people uh, listening may have more questions. Is there a contact person that you would direct people to reach out to for more information? For people who have questions um, about youth mental health first aid, about how to implement it, um, if people want to know how we can help, uh, help you get started, uh, you can reach out to Colleen Caney, who is our assistant superintendent, uh, or people can reach out to me. Um, we are um, evangelists for youth mental health first aid in schools because it is a game changer for your school district. Uh, it's been an absolute game changer for our school district. Um, and it explicitly tells every single person who works in a school that the mental and emotional wellness of students is a part of your job. Um, One of the things that I think public schools are grappling with a little bit is the scope of our work continues to change. Um, And one of the most recent and most dramatic changes in the scope of our work is really caring for the mental and emotional health of our kids because um, every the symptoms of every everything that ails society um, walks in our schoolhouse doors every day with our kids and our adults. So we can't disaggregate um, children from their lived experience outside of school. Uh, We have to deal with it inside the school and ensure that they're okay and available for learning, Uh, which is why we focus so much on uh, making sure that they're mentally and emotionally well, and that goes for the adults too. So um, many times we've had um, folks come to us and do the warm handoff for one of their colleagues I had a conversation with, with Joe um, when we were walking into the building this morning, and I don't think he's okay. You might want to check on him. So that happens too. It totally changes the way um, we think about each other. Okay, that, that's really helpful. So in your organization, since you started this in the 2017-2018 year, have you had to add on staff? either as a result of youth mental health first aid, or was that 
uh, was adding on to staff just a, a separate goal uh, for the organization. When we started in 2017, 18, thinking about it, we knew there was going to be a point at which we were going to have to add school-based mental health professionals because if it worked, which we had every expectation that it would, we'd have a lot more traffic in our counseling offices. So we added uh, counselors at all three levels, um, and we added more during COVID, and we added more now post-COVID. So um, that's just a part of the, the service delivery model that we have in Hamburg. And frankly, I think you're seeing that across uh, public school systems that recognize that if kids are not mentally and emotionally available for learning, then what are we doing? So um, it's a part of the delivery model, and I think you're seeing that recognized in Hamburg and across the state. Going into this year, um, and, you know, you, you, COVID interrupted some of this work, you know, because schools were hybrid and, uh, and, and maybe exasperated mental health, you know, with our students who were isolated at home, uh, learning from home and things of that nature. Um, if you were to try to scientifically measure success, is there something in, in the back of your mind that you're you're kind of excited about this school year uh, since you've started Youth Mental Health First Aid because we're as normal as we've been pre-COVID? You know, maybe there's a compare and contrast set of numbers that you're going to be looking at to see whether or not um, empirically uh, this has been helpful um, and should be adopted by other districts. So here's what I'll say. If we go all the way back pre-COVID, we had a youth mental health crisis pre-COVID. Um, we just weren't talking about it as much, but we had one. Um, it was absolutely exacerbated by COVID, 100%. Right. Um, and I said that hundreds of times, as many of us did. Um, and now post-COVID, um, there's a much greater recognition of the mental and emotional challenges experienced by our young people. One of the things that I'll say is um, I remember having a conversation during one of our, um, during a meeting at which many superintendents were lamenting the increased number of superintendents hearings last year. Yeah, we, we were one of them. We, yeah. Ours definitely increased. So we had two superintendents hearings last year. And they were in June. Okay, that's pretty impressive. So what does that mean? Yeah. It means that I think um, we've been very, very good at being a, a, a positive force in the daily life of every child, not only in terms of looking out for the academic progress of kids, but also looking at the mental and emotional needs of kids. And because it's everybody's job to look for the need – and fill that need in the immediate. So it's important to recognize, I probably should have said this at the beginning, youth mental health first aid doesn't mean that because you're a social studies teacher, now you're also responsible for counseling kids. Yeah. What it means is, it's like if you were to see somebody bleeding on the side of the road, you wouldn't walk by, right? You would stop and try to administer whatever first aid you could and then look for a trained professional to actually provide medical care. So this is the same thing. Right. We don't want adults to just kind of, you know, ignore the mental and emotional needs of kids or chalk it up to lack of motivation or a bad day. Uh, we want our kids to at least or our teachers to at least ask kids a couple of questions if they feel like something's up with the child. 
right? So because I think we've gotten very, very good at doing that, it is a part of our DNA. We're able to get out in front of challenges before they manifest themselves in some type of negative behavior that requires something like a superintendent's hearing or a five-day suspension or something like that. So we've not experienced any of those um, increased negative behaviors in school. We did not have anything that looked like an increase in student suspensions. In fact, I think we had fewer student suspensions. And like I said, we had only two superintendent's hearings. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, when I look at the whole piece of it, right, I look at what we started doing in 2017 and what we're doing now in 2022-23, um, everything takes four or five years to have a positive effect. For us, it just happened to... Um, provide an observable positive result at a moment when other school districts were experiencing a really negative outcome in terms of the mental health challenges in their kids as a result of COVID. We just happen to be out in front of it. Well, again, uh, that is fantastic data to take a look at pre-COVID, post-COVID. Um, you had mentioned earlier that North Collins partnered, you know, with you, you and your team uh, to get things started in this direction at their district. Um, what what should somebody expect if if I reached out to your team and asked if uh, you know we wanted to take on this initiative in Grand Island? Do we have to write a grant? Uh, how much money should we be thinking about uh, setting aside um, to to make this happen in in all districts? I think your primary cost is going to be in sub-costs, right? Uh, the Youth Mental Health First Aid, the accrediting agency, uh, provides now you can do a bit of a hybrid training. So they can do three or four hours of pre-work online asynchronously, and then there's four, a four-hour in-person commitment. So you're going to have to pay for people to be out of their classrooms for a half a day. Um, so however you want to arrange that sub coverage, that's up to the district, but you're going to have to pay people to be out for half a day. You're going to have to pay for the book, uh, which is, I don't know, 30 or 40 bucks. Um, we haven't exactly worked out a business model in terms of how we're going to charge <laughs> right. people for, for their time. Uh, to come out and do it. And frankly, these are people we can't really afford to be without. Exactly. Um, so it, it, we don't have an enormous capacity to do training. Uh, we did it for North Collins because it was, um, you know, at a time, it was before the school year started. So for us, it was okay. We didn't have kids in the building in Hamburg, so we were able to deploy some of our trainers down in North Collins and, and do the work. So it takes a lot of coordination right. on the scheduling okay. side so that we can do it in a way that doesn't impact our operation. Okay, that makes sense. So uh, it sounds like this is just something everybody should look into. I appreciate you uh, sharing this with us. Is there anything else you think that's important uh, that our listeners should know about youth mental health first aid or uh, anything else at all? I know that your district uh, believes wholeheartedly that the mission should be joyful practices uh, that have value and connection uh, that that uh, are respectful and and help uh, children feel connected in the most positive of ways to school. Is there anything else you want to add to that and uh, share with our listeners before we sign off? Yeah, I'll just say two things. First thing is the message that kids get explicitly is we care about you. Yeah. 
And, and too often, when you talk to kids who drop out of high school or who are in the process of checking out before they drop out, it's always because they don't feel connected to the school, they don't feel school is relevant, and they don't feel like the adults in the school care about them. It's almost never because they're cognitively incapable of doing the work of high school. It's always that other stuff. You know, why don't you go to school? Because I don't think anybody sees me, hears me, cares about me, pays attention to me. It's always those things. So the message we're sending to kids explicitly is we care about you. The next layer to this that I think is important that we're starting to tackle now is a much more explicit way of teaching kids the vocabulary and strategy around their own mental health to have some efficacy for their own mental health. So it's important that kids know we care about them. It's important that the adults are paying attention to their mental mental and emotional health of kids. But it's also important that the kids can have efficacy for their mental health themselves. So, for example, one of the things that we're doing, we hired another social worker to really help support the work of teaching the strategies and vocabulary of mental health to kids in grades 5 through 9. We're going to start there. And what will, uh, here's an example, simple example. We want kids to know the difference between I'm having an anxious moment because I have a test on Tuesday or my girlfriend or boyfriend broke up with me the other day and I actually suffer from an anxiety disorder that's been diagnosed and I'm undergoing treatment for it. There's a, there's a spectrum and a continuum of mental health that we want kids to really understand and appreciate. And that's a part of the instruction we're doing. We're actually starting that with our athletes. Every one of our student athletes is getting that instruction. It's, it's quick, like 35 or 40 minutes, just to kind of pilot a program based on a need we see in Hamburg. And yeah. we know that, that high school and college athletes are more likely to suffer from mental health challenges than other kids. Well, Mike, this is fantastic information. I'm glad that this is our first podcast. It's so such an important topic. I think our fellow colleagues will find it fascinating, and uh, Hamburg's really a leader in this uh, in this arena. So I thank you for your leadership and all that Hamburg is doing to uh, promote uh, wellness in their students and joy, value, and connection as well. Uh, This podcast will be going out to uh, folks very soon. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for being here today. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us today as we explore the concept of achieving joy and mastery in public schools. We will be interviewing school districts in Erie and Niagara counties on a regular basis as we look to shine a spotlight on all of the amazing programs and practices essential for achieving joy and mastery with our students, faculty, staff, and community. This podcast is sponsored by the Erie Niagara School Superintendents Association, and we hope you consider subscribing.